This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I had Rivers Cuomo on the podcast, the lead singer, founder of Weezer. Oh, okay. Yeah. You're telling me that the lead singer of Weezer, if you've never know who Weezer is, they sing that song. It's like, say it ain't so. They have like Island in the Sun. Like these are some big hits. This guy is using Python to write songs, to do like linear optimization to figure out like <laughs> where, where to put different tour dates in different locations. You're telling me that, that he was yeah. actually at the keyboard doing these things. The, the yeah, computer yeah, yeah. keyboard, not the yeah. musical keyboard. No, no, the computer keyboard. Yeah. Welcome to the data career podcast, the podcast that helps aspiring data professionals land their next data job. Here's your host, Avery Smith. Hey everyone. Welcome back to the data career podcast. I am so excited for this episode because we're going to be talking about my favorite data tool, which is Python. We're gonna talk about six really cool ways that people are using Python. We're gonna talk about how the lead singer of Weezer uses Python to write songs and to optimize tour dates. We're gonna be talking about how YouTube used Python to beat Google and ultimately be acquired for $1.65 billion. We're gonna talk about how Instagram uses Python. We're gonna talk about how the first picture of a black hole was discovered via Python. We're gonna talk about so many cool things about Python. I'm so excited for you guys to hear this episode and to learn about it. My guest today is Michael Kennedy. He is the host of the Talk Python to Me podcast. He's a Python trainer, a Python expert, and I think you're going to learn a lot from him. Of course, we'll have all of his links in the description down below. I do wanna caveat this episode with one thing. If you're trying to break into data, I don't recommend learning Python right away. One of the things that we talk about with Michael is how easy Python is. And it's easy when you compare it to other programming languages. But learning Excel, learning SQL, and learning Tableau is still easier than learning Python. There is a shorter learning curve and you don't need Python to land your first data job. I love Python, it's my favorite data tool. I'll say it's the best data tool maybe, like I, that's super biased to say. I really like it, I really enjoy it. I want everyone to learn it ultimately, but I just think that you can get paid to learn Python. You can land your first data job before learning Python because Excel, most of you guys have a background in Excel. So check, that's easy to learn. Tableau is like, if you can figure out PowerPoint, you can figure out Tableau. Drag and drop buttons, it's really easy to figure out. That's the same with Power BI. If you've learned one, you've learned the other. You'll be able to figure it out. So just like no coding really at all, quite simple. SQL, now, of course, that is a coding language, but there's really only like 20 different commands that you have to know, and it's, it's very like limited in what it does. 
one of the things we talked about is Python is a Swiss army knife. They can literally do anything from finding black holes to creating websites, to running Instagram, to machine learning, to data analysis, to taking pictures. Like the amount of stuff that Python can do is incredible, but it's a programming language and it's, it's hard. It's hard when you've never programmed before to pick up. Now, I think Python's a great start. If you, if you want to get into coding, great. It's easier than JavaScript, C++, all that good stuff. But I just want to emphasize again, like, I don't think you need to learn Python to land your first data job. That being said, this will be a great introduction to Python. You'll know what it is. You can speak intelligently on it. You can kind of understand it as a programming language a little bit more. So I think you guys will really enjoy this episode. I know I did, and I can't wait to have Michael on the podcast. I actually also went on Michael's podcast and talked about what it's like to land your first data job. So if you want to go over and check out the Talk Python to Me podcast and hear my episode, it's over there. You guys can definitely do so. Enough of me rambling on. Let's get into this week's episode. Welcome back to the Data Career Podcast, everyone. My guest today is Michael Kennedy, who is the host of the Talk Python to Me podcast and the Python Bytes podcast, as well as the founder, instructor, educator at Talk Python Training. So basically, a Python expert is in the house today, and we're excited to uh, learn from you. Thanks so much for being here. Avery, it's excellent to be here. Thanks for having me. It's going to be a lot of fun. We got a wide ranging set of topics to cover, I know. So yeah, we'll enjoy it. We sure do. And I actually was just recently, or actually probably by the time you guys are listening to this, I will be on Michael's podcast. It'll come out eventually. So you guys can go over to his podcast and check that out where I talked a little bit more about, you know, getting into data and careers like that. And today Michael's going to come enlighten us with all things Python. So I want to start by first asking you how you got into Python. I got into Python actually quite long after I had been in programming. I got into programming accidentally. I didn't study programming, but found my way there through looking for interesting things. So I, I got a degree in math and I did a bunch of research in math. I was working on my PhD and I had to learn programming in order to do the research. And after a while I was like, wow, this program is fun, man. Wow. I'm really enjoying it. Then I'd get kind of bummed out of part, but part of the project, that'd be the math part. And I'd go back to the program and I'm like, why am I studying math again? If I actually like this other stuff better. So I kind of stopped that career path and, and took a turn and did a bunch of cool programming in C++ and C Sharp and others. And then finally, you know, everyone had been talking about Python, how interesting it was. I went to a conference and there was a, a bunch of people I really, really respected. And it was sort of a multi-language conference type thing. And they were all doing stuff with Python. I'm like, oh, that, that person's super smart. They're, and they're doing Python, huh? And that person too. Oh, maybe this is worth paying attention to. And got into like, yeah, they're right. No looking back. Let's, let's go. And so I just really dove into it, started working with it, learning it. And when I got excited, I went to go and listen to the podcast. I'm like, where are the Python podcasts? Let me go listen to those. Here's one. Oh, it's shut down. Here's one. Oh, it's shut down. Oh, there's literally none what do you mean? There's no, there's millions of people who are psyched about this stuff and there's no podcast. I guess I'm gonna have to do it myself. And so if I want to hear the stories and the interviews and the history. You know, I can be the first listener basically. And so that's, that's what I've been up to lately. Wow. That's crazy because now I think if I'm not mistaken, aren't you on like episode like 400? Yeah. 445. Yeah. 445 working on 446 this morning. I've got including yours, like 10 more recorded been doing this for eight years and then the podcast has been my full-time job since 2016 and on the back of that i 
launched the course platform where I and a bunch of other authors create Python courses that we sort of sell on on top of the podcast. And so that's been my job for quick math, I guess, seven years, something like that, seven, eight years. That's awesome. Are you bored of the podcast yet or not yet? No, I'm not bored at all. There are certain things that you're just like, I really have to do this. <laughs> but for the most part, absolutely not. I get to talk to amazing people every week and it's it's super fun. You know, there's things like, oh, I got to make a correction to the transcript or you know, like there's little nuanced things all over and, and that kind of stuff. But in general, it's it's kind of a dream job, you know? For sure. So let's talk about why why Python? Like why you were doing these languages, you were doing, you know, different things in C++. Why is Python, why are people obsessed with Python? Why is it something that, that people are just, you know, really jazzed about? Python had been kind of just cruising along, popular, but not super popular. And it's a really interesting story because some languages come on the scene and people are like, whoa, that's amazing. But Python wasn't like that. Python had been kind of steady state. It had a good bunch of people using it, but it was pretty steady state up until around 2012. And there's a really cool graph you can find on Stack Overflow language trends, just Stack Overflow trends and pull up the popular languages. And you'll see it go along and just chewing a hockey stick right around 2012. And now it's it's surpassed all the other languages to be the most popular one. So the question is like, how does something that really fundamentally change from 2010 to 2015 have such a striking difference? And I'm pretty sure it has to do with the data science side of the story, which is really interesting for you and your audience, right? Obviously, people have been building web apps in Python for a long time and doing other sorts of automations in Python for a really long time. But there's a couple of things like Pandas, Jupyter Notebooks, all those things came along and really opened up another channel to bring people into Python. And I think that was part one or one half of the story, bringing people in, but then why do they stay? Why do they come? Why do they find it interesting? Why do they stay? And I like to think of it as a, a full spectrum language, which is kind of a, a unique place. There's, I don't really know of any other language. There probably is one, but really any popular language in the space. So what I mean is there's ways to build apps super easy, which Python is super easy to get started with. There's a t-shirt that jokes. I learned Python in a, this weekend. It was fun, you know, something like that, right? So it's really easy to get started. And there's a lot of people that come in and they're like, I'm an economist, but Excel isn't quite doing it anymore for me. Or I'm a biologist and I know we're trying to like analyze this data in the lab. And somebody said, if I just put these six lines in a script, I'll have a cool interactive graph. And sure enough, I do, right? So it's incredibly easy to get started. Like so much so you can be really effective with Python with a super partial understanding of what programming even is, right? I don't know what asynchronous programming is. I don't know threads. I don't know methods. I don't know classes, right? Like you could still do cool stuff with it. So you can get in so easy, but a lot of languages that are easy like that, like Visual Basic or something, really quickly top out. You're like, okay, I can do this. Oh, now it's time to time to get your grown-up pants on and go learn a real hard language so you can write real software. You know, you've been kind of doing this simple stuff. Well, Python doesn't really end there. It lets you kind of evolve up to a much higher end, right? You know, there's really high-end software built with, with Python. You know, Instagram, for example, has all of their APIs and their web stuff. It's all Python. Plenty of other examples there as well. So you would never do that with one of these simple languages. You would never do that with like a MATLAB or something. Like You would get a certain part and then you're like done. 
And so I think the magic is the, these couple of things. It, there was all these tools that brought non-programmers who would never describe themselves as a programmer in because it was real easy. But then they're like, oh, and there's this library and there's that library and there's this other half million over I can install to do the thing. And they never get to a point usually where it's like, okay, well, now you've pushed it as far as it goes. Go learn something else. Right. So this sort of full spectrum bit is, is kind of like a black hole. Once you get in, you're just stuck. <laughs> There's no reason to leave. It sucks you in and you just stay. And so this growth over time is just aggregated. And I think it's because it's brought all these people from outside of core programming, like computer science degree type people in to participate in this. And it's just they're like, I like it here. I'm going to stay. I'm not going to go learn some other programming language because this is more than enough for me. And I think that that's kind of a really unique place that Python finds itself in. I don't know it was imagined to be that way, but it did start out as a teaching language. So it it did start to be friendly, but it, I think it went beyond probably what they expected. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You know, that's, that's so interesting. And thank you for that kind of history. Because on this podcast and throughout my content, I tell a lot of people, you know, I love Python. Python is my absolute favorite data tool that there is. Like I, I pretty much do all of my data stuff. If I have the choice, I pretty much do it in Python. But I often tell beginners that one, you don't need it to land your first data job. And two, that it's actually, it's actually difficult. It's hard. And what I guess I mean by that is when you compare it to Excel, SQL, mm -hmm. or like Power BI or sure. Tableau, where it's just drag and drop, it's a coding language and it, 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 takes is, it is still programming. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. still, but it's not C with no. memory faults and <laughs> double pointers and all sorts of chaos, you know? And it's easy for me to forget that, that compared to, for instance, yesterday, I was trying to program a web app in JavaScript and I was like, oh crap, this stuff's really hard and I'm not very good at it. And I was reminded, oh yeah, this is hard. Like JavaScript, Java, you know, C, there's a lot of programming stuff inside of that where it's like, actual computer science, actual programming versus the stuff I do in Python. Like you said, I think probably the reason it did stick is it brought a lot of people like me as a chemical engineer with a, you know, I was going to say non-technical background, but chemical engineering is fairly technical, but regardless, not a computer science background, you know, Python was easy enough for me to get going much easier than something like JavaScript or C++. And then once I was there, I realized how broad it is like, oh my gosh, I can crunch, you know, machine learning numbers and build Instagram all with one programming language. Yeah. Why do I need anything else? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's fascinating. Such an interesting, interesting history. I don't think people realize like kind of what you said that it was, you know, stagnant for so long. Wasn't it built in the eighties or something like that? It was, I think Guido Van Rossum started it in 1989, but it was, it was released by some definition of released in 1991. Okay. So for 20 by years, release, I mean, yeah, exactly. For 20 years until it really took off. Not that it wasn't popular, you know, but it was like the fifth or sixth most popular language. And it's just interesting that it's kind of lived in that space for 20 years and then just bam, you know, took off as opposed to something like Rust or other languages that are more you know recently invented basically.
That's so interesting. We just kind of talked about what Python, some of the things that Python can do and compared it to, oh yeah, it's actually easier than, than JavaScript. Can you also help us walk through some of these other different programming things? Like what can we do in Python that maybe we can't do in other tools or what can other tools do that maybe Python can't? Sure. Python's pretty good. It's got a few, a few areas that they're working hard to expand, let's say, but in general, you can solve most problems with Python. And I think there's a bunch of data, data languages, data tools that are super interesting, especially popular in academics that I feel really do have this limit that we've been talking about. So, you know, let's take an extreme example like MATLAB, right? And to a lesser degree, we could talk about Julia and other more niche languages, but a good, strong alternative viewpoint would be something like MATLAB. The languages are not that different, honestly, like they're similar, but they're not, you know, they're more close together than they are different from each other, I would say, right? One's more works like with linear algebra type of ideas and so on, but still, we got pandas. So if you look at that, you can do, if you're like, okay, I need to solve this data problem and get this graph. Okay. Well, here's the data. I can stick it into both of them and I can get a kind of a cool graph. And MATLAB has these like extensions. I can't remember what they're called. Toolboxes, I think that you yeah. can buy. Yeah. You can buy and you can do like wavelet transforms and all sorts of, you know, like aerodynamics on airplanes or whatever. So that's great. Those are usually thousands of dollars for those extensions. In Python, we have PyPI and PIP, which is free, almost always free. There's half a million of those things where you get your aerodynamics libraries and so on. But one of the really big differences is when you build that thing that's cool for your research or whatever in MATLAB, and then someone says, that is so excellent. Let's put that on the web and let other people work with it. Let's put that on the web and sell it as a, a SaaS product that other people can load their data into and get that similar analysis. You're like, huh, didn't think about that. Now, how do you, how do you put MATLAB in production? I know there's like little ways to automate it and stuff, but in general, like you just go, okay, well, we rewrite it in something else from scratch. Right. Yeah. And it's kind of that full spectrum thing. Like it's reached a point where, okay, it really was good at a thing because it was so focused on it, but now it's not a general purpose programming language. And so you stop. Whereas in Python, like the problem is how many, what do you choose? There are so many ways to keep going in that story. We could put it up as an API with fast API. How much is that? And run it on Linux. How much does that cost? $5 a month for the server. Everything else is free. <laughs> I mean, or it's a data problem and I just want to make it a little interactive. Let's make it a web app with Streamlit or Dash. I know you're a fan of those things. And that's not just possible, it's often free and easy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so there's that angle that just a lot of these other tools in the data space, you know, not talking like C++ or whatever, is they're really good. And that's why they're popular at a thing, but they're not a general purpose programming language. In which case, well, if you, if you hit an edge, you completely start over from zero. You don't just bring in one more library and keep going like, oh, you can't run that on Linux? Well, guess you rewrite another programming language, time to start over. And by the way, you didn't know that language, so it's gonna be real hard, right? Rather than just keep going. And so I think that that is one aspect. And another is thinking of a career side of things. 
Like that's a limitation for I'm working on a project, but that could also be a limitation for I want a different job or a slightly slight change in my job, right? If you're really good at aerodynamics in MATLAB, that's a skill, right? But if you're really good at aerodynamics in Python, well, what you do for data analysis in some other area, like say stock trading, it's almost the same language, the same tools, the same everything, right? If you want to go crazy and build an app, some sort of web app, maybe you do Django, it's still a lot of the same tools doing a lot of the same thing. And so I think if you're learning or you're like an instructor or professor at a university, you really should consider how much of a skill set are you imbuing on the person, right? Like I've taken classes like, you're going to learn MATLAB. It's like, okay, great. But when I'm done with this class, I'm not doing it ever again, <laughs> right? Whereas I'm going to learn some other, something like Python, that could set people up to really succeed, even if they don't go straight down the path that you thought your course was sending them down, right? So I think when you compare Python, people compare it to the high-end programming languages or whatever, like C++, JavaScript, these other ones that are mainstream general purpose stuff, that's fine. But I think another consideration really is like all these other edge tools, right, that people think about and Python is similar to. And I think that's part of the the hockey stick thing at 2012, part of the black hole is like, uh, it just seems like a better deal for me to be able to learn a super broad skill that solves the same problem and often cheaper in a similar way, you know? A hundred percent. I think you, you explained it really well that really at the end of the day, Python ends up being more like a Swiss army knife or like a pocket knife with, you know, if you have a splinter, great, you're, you're all set versus something like MATLAB or maybe even something like R is more like a machete. If you're open up a coconut, great. That's a great tool mm -hmm. to have. But if you're doing anything else, it's maybe not the, the best tool to, to uh, have. Almost like one of those log splitting machines. Yeah. Like you could really, you know, like the hydraulic press where you sit it down and it shoots the logs and have like, you could absolutely tear up some logs with it. You could probably get a coconut cut in half with it too, but you know, there's limitations, right. To what you can do with that thing. Which, which is something that maybe people don't realize when they're, there's a big debate in the data community, you know, R versus Python. And I don't necessarily want to go into, into that debate a hundred percent, but there is something to be said that I don't think there's many people doing data engineering in R, you know, there's not very many people doing yeah. cybersecurity in R. There's not many people building websites. Okay. Maybe there's a few websites that are built around R, but not real, like not true websites. And you can do all those things legitimately in Python. Like you said, like the Instagram web application built in Python, right? YouTube, you know, YouTube built, built in Python. So like, there is something to be said about almost career flexibility when you're learning Python, because you could go to so many different routes, solve so many different problems with just one tool. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a really, really good skill. And it translates to other programming languages, of course. But I do think it's, you know, if you're kind of picking point between one or the other, not trying to be an advocate for Python specifically, I just think it's a better career move to say, I'm going to pick the one that has a million opportunities instead of thousands of opportunities, right? Like I said, you know, some focus thing in MATLAB with like some odd toolbox type of st story, right? I have a quick, you know, this is comparing against all the data the stories and things like MATLAB and whatnot. But on the other end, I, there's also some interesting history around when we talked about YouTube. So there's a cool book by a guy named Mike Driscoll. There's a ton of stuff in the Python space. And I really wish I could remember which one of the people it 
was that he spoke to, but he inter he did a book called Python Interviews, Discussions with Python Experts. And one of the guys they spoke to in here was at Google at the time. And this is when, this is before YouTube was really a thing. Like YouTube was a startup, a brand new, brand new startup. And Google was trying to do something similar. And they had a thing called Google Video. And Google Video was going to be excellent. They got a lot of people there so on, on Google, obviously. So they're going to build it in C++ and really just get that thing to be high performance and fast. At 100, I think if I remember correctly, 100 or so people on the team doing C++. Wow. And there's this little upstart called YouTube. They're just them constantly. It was, they'd come out with a feature. YouTube would have come out with a feature much faster. Or that YouTube would come out with something. It would take them forever to catch up. And the secret was that YouTube was written in Python and it was not execution speed that mattered. It was developer speed. How fast could they create oh. features? How fast could they get stuff into production? How could fast could they keep it from crashing? Cause there's a memory leak or something, you know what I mean? And it just over and over there was getting whipped by this little Python based startup called YouTube. So they solved it by buying them and shutting down Google video. <laughs> yeah. Just, just so, a $1 billion decision, I think. Yeah. Right. Right. Oh, it was nothing. Yeah. So it's really interesting, though, you think people So on, on the other side, you say, well, Python's a little bit slow. I mean, surely you would want to write this in C++ or something like this, because, right, maybe if you're looking for that last 5% of performance or something, but most people aren't. Most people just got to get stuff done. And so YouTube's a really interesting history of that contrast, right, of, of Google video versus YouTube. And people can, I interviewed Mike about it. And he can, you know, find that on on talk python somewhere um, yeah. yeah it's it's pretty interesting that's super fascinating what, a, what an interesting story to think that a little startup could beat google ultimately because of their nimbleness of being able to you know develop quickly with, yeah. with the tool you've you've also you know you've done so many episodes you've done so many news episodes what are some of the craziest things or most interesting things that you've seen people do with Python? Because I think for my audience, a lot of people are like, yeah, we do you know, exploratory data analysis. We use matplotlib to, to do different graphs. By the way, not a fan of matplotlib. I like Seaborn a lot better. But like, that's like, we, we use pandas to crunch numbers. And I think people yeah. maybe don't even realize all the things that you could do with Python. So what are some of the most interesting or weirdest things that you've seen people use Python for? I get such an interesting... Such a broad view because of all these people that come on the show, you know? I think I've had something like 450 different experts and also beginners on the show. So there's a, a whole spectrum, right? There's really interesting stuff right in what you would at least call the scientific computing space, right? So I talked to Kyle Cranmer about how they use Python at the Large Hadron Collider at CERN. And he was on the team that discovered the Higgs boson. So, you know, all this particle physics and all this crazy stuff in the end, right? The wow. Wait, hold on. You have it. to explain that for, for, for those in the audience who don't know what you just said, maybe <laughs> or not maybe, including me, what the heck is that? So we have what's called the standard model of the atom, right? Of subatomic particles and stuff, right? Electrons zooming around, nucleus in the middle. But when you break the nucleus apart, into little pieces, like when you break protons and neutrons apart, what do you get, right? You get all these weird things with like quarks and muons and whatever. It's like what they study in the particle accelerators. And they, it blows my mind that you can know these things, but they think they understood it pretty well and they had it all put together, except like, but we don't understand gravity. We understand lots of things, but we don't understand what makes gravity, which is 
important because it clearly <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we have gravity. And so this guy named Higgs, he theorized that there must be this final particle to make up this model called the Higgs boson. And it was really hard to find. It takes a huge amount of energy. So CERN, when it like eventually got going up to a high enough energy, a few times, you know, shot off one of these things when they broke the, you know, they get the, the protons going counter, you know, counter to each other on like a 50 mile loop or 50 kilometer loop near light speed, really near light speed. And then they whack them together. What's nuts is you have, you know, protons, like they're insanely small, but then they, they do that inside of this tube, this it's kind of like a, a digital sensor for a camera. And that thing is like five stories tall. So there's a little thing right through the middle wow. and they make them crash. And when they explode, it shoots through this five story tall thing and leaves traces. Right. Okay. And so there's all sorts of interesting data analysis, like how fast the data is coming in, how much of it is coming in. But eventually once they thin it out a little bit, then they bring in the Python and they start to analyze it and start to work on it. And so that that's what they did is they said, okay, look, we do think we've completed the standard model of the atom or wow, that's neat. particles or whatever. Yeah. I, I'm not a particle physicist, as you can tell. Well, you did great but, so, explaining that. <laughs> thanks. So that was really fun. There was recently this big news about the, the black hole picture. Are you familiar with that? Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it looked like a little cool donut and they were getting it more clearer and clearer. But it took an insane amount of, of science. So they they came up with a telescope that was basically the size of the Earth. So they put little like telescope radio sensors at different edges of the Earth, and as it rotated, they used all those together as if it was a lens the size of the Earth. Wow. They brought all that data together, and then of course they they came up with that picture. But a lot of that was done with Python as well. <laughs> so you can take pictures of black holes with Python. Yes. So those are like kind of what you would expect, right? Like how awesome sure. is that? Sure. And one more in that space is there was a, so folks in Cambridge who there's a, from the Kepler satellite, they take a bunch of pictures to try to find transits of exoplanets. So basically trying to find exoplanets and there are some older data sitting around and they think, okay, well, we found whatever we're going to find. They turned machine learning specifically the image processing type of stuff onto it and found 50 additional planets. Wow. I can't remember if it was PyTorch or TensorFlow or whatever it was, but they're like, yeah, here's 50 more planets, by the way, we just had laying around that nobody noticed. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. That yeah. That's so neat. All right. So that's cool. That's on like, that's kind of what you would expect, right? From a data science side. Yeah. But some really other interesting stories. Let me see which one is the best. All right. So I'll give you two that are super fun, super cool people. So this guy named Cornelius Van Litt, he was a, worked in the digital humanities, which is kind of like high-end library type stuff, right? Like how do we organize our data and how do we study things that are maybe written in books and so on? And he's a medieval Islamic philosopher. He reached out to me and said, I would love to talk to you about how I'm using Python to study medieval philosophy. I'm like, I would love to even know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, is this going to be interesting? Maybe we'll, uh, let's, let's have a chat. Sure. Well, it turns out what he's doing is amazing. He's studying these, these Islamic scrolls from like 900 AD, wow. really like a thousand years old. And they have like stamps. So if you were a philosopher, the way you would kind of sign, like I've contributed to this work is you have like a really ornate stamp you would put on it. 
throughout different ages, they would have slightly different shapes or ways of folding these scrolls and stuff like that. And people had studied a little bit, tried to figure out who's worked with whom. And he just took Python, a camera, some machine learning, and created like this graph database of all the people who work together over what time by just looking at the scrolls with Python. Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> which which is and something that, that people don't think about is like how how like we could take pictures of things and feed it to Python and do different things with that's like so cool. Yeah, it's super cool. And what even more interesting is okay, if I told you that's possible, you give it sure, okay, I believe, Michael, that that's possible. I've heard about like the breast cancer studies and yeah. and using machine learning for that. But what's more interesting is that dude was a philosopher and a librarian, not a computer scientist, right? And he yeah. he was able to he went through this kind of black hole full spectrum thing until all of a sudden even people who are high end programmers are like, wow, awesome dude. <laughs> yeah, right? that's that's incredible. When was that? When did you talk to him about that? When did I talk to him? It was like years ago or recently? Yeah, it was quite a while. It was 2019. So that okay. would be if people want to listen, that's episode 230 on Talk Python. Anyway. Perfect. You guys got to scroll back for that one. But but that was really before. I mean, I think GPT probably was around then. I'm not entirely sure when it yeah, was. Yeah, it definitely but, predates AI. But in, no in one the, was using it. So, yes, so like exactly. he wasn't like a philosopher using chat GPT to, to write this code. He That's was a good point. No. figuring out this code on his own. He started from a blank .py file and started typing and, and got that out of it. That's incredible. <laughs> I love that one. That one's so neat. Yeah. Yeah. One more, maybe really cool. I had Rivers Cuomo on the podcast, the lead singer, founder of Weezer. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And he reached out and said, Hey, I would love to be on your show. I'm like, that's awesome. Wait, he just like that's... emailed you and it was like, yeah. hi, I'm the he lead had his singer of Weezer. Yeah. So oh I'm, my I'm, gosh. I, I like your show. I really enjoy it. Could I be on it? I'm like, we need to talk about like what Why? that means. Cause, <laughs> cause I would, you know, it was really interesting, but I'm not really sure what the story is. And so I was like, let me show you. And so he was he is using python to do all sorts of interesting analysis on his, his music and like people who write music with lyrics at least have a lot of times they'll have like a phrase here or a phrase there and just write down little phrases like here's a kernel of a song or a kernel of an idea that you might be able to make into a song and so he'll use python to go through and like say okay these three here's six thousand of your phrases but these three could combine together in like a similar sentiment or whatever to come up with a story and just doing all kinds of interesting stuff using to automate like some of it just some of his travel right you know this is the venue you're supposed to be at no it got canceled not moved just like a bunch of automation type of things as well but just really cool and i i, I really enjoyed having him on the show and it's it's neat to see also right he's got a, a master's in music and it's in a band and not a computer scientist from start so you're telling me that the lead singer of weezer if you've never know who Weezer is, they sing that song. It's like, say it ain't so. I like play mm -hmm. that on garage bands. Yeah. Like, Africa. Yeah. Cover of Africa is amazing. Yeah. They have, I like Island in the Sun. Like these are some big hits. This guy is using Python to write songs, to do like linear optimization, to figure out like <laughs> where, where to put different tour dates in different locations. You're telling me that, that he was yeah. actually at the keyboard doing these things? The, the yeah, yeah, yeah. keyboard. Not the yeah. musical keyboard. No, no, the computer keyboard. Yeah. Like that's so fascinating. Yeah. It's amazing uh, what he's doing. Wow. And it's just, you know, it's, 
one of the things that's really nice is this type of programming could really be a superpower, not a replacement for what you're doing, right? Like he's not going to go like, I hate music. I'm going to become a programmer. I don't watch him do that. But, you know, it was the goal was like, I'm doing these tours and I've got a, some crappy service that stores the information in a PDF. So could I write some web scraping automation to log in here, navigate over there, pull down the PDF and extract the text and just text it to me at a time or something like this, right? Yeah, and that that is something that's super cool, right? It doesn't mean he's given up being a musician and going to go do something else or that the the guy, Cornelius, is going to give up studying philosophy. It's like, I'm going to learn enough to really do that thing, which is, I and, think is super cool. Yeah, absolutely incredible. Very cool. I loved all of those, those anecdotes. So thank you for sharing. And if you guys want to hear more about these anecdotes, go find the, the episodes and listen to them to hear the full stories. One thing I do want to talk about. So we have like this philosopher and we have this rock band lead singer who are learning Python. And, you know, we have, we have our audience listening right now. And what if they're feeling really inspired and they're like, wow, Python's super cool. I want to learn Python. How would you recommend, like, actually, like, what are some good practices for beginners? Specifically, I want to start with, how do you access Python? Which I think is a really interesting question. And I have my answer. I want to compare it to mm -hmm. yours after. So I'll ask you first, how do you access Python if you're a beginner? Sure. There's some online hosted things that you can use, right? Like collab type of things and certain notebook things, which are nice. But I don't find the, the writing code experience in those spaces as good as they could be. So... If I was getting started, I would make sure that I'm using one of the editors that is all about helping you write code and discover some things, right? And for me, that's PyCharm or VS Code. PyCharm has a free version that goes a long ways. VS Code is 100% free. So those are all good. And, you know, instead of going to the documentation, you're just like, now here's a number, dot, what can I do with it? You type dot and here's a long list, right? Or a string or some library you got off PyPI that, you know, is doing advanced things, it just, they, they more or less start helping you complete what you're doing. And PyCharm has started doing it line by line. This is real new and I don't understand why it's doing it, where it's come from. So I'll, I was sorting like lines in a CSV file the other day because yeah, I still do that. Working on email and exported some people from one system. I got to import them to another. And I wanted to say something like, line bracket email of something and i typed l and just wrote the whole line like 20 30 characters of programming because i typed l all right if i hit tab okay that's good thanks you maybe didn't guess quite right but it got pretty close and so having that much support is awesome you can get google sorry i always switch this github copilot not google github copilot or the pycharm also has an assistant type of thing that understands not just little bits of code, but your whole project, which is really, really nice because it knows actually what you're trying to do. And I don't use those very much, but I think that would be super helpful as well. I, I love that you started answering this question by talking about the the I, IDE that the people are going to be coding in. And for those who don't know what an IDE is, I always forget, is the first word integrated? I think it's integrated, right? Integrated development environment? Yep. Okay. I always want to say it's interactive, but integrated development environment. And basically this is the place where you could write code. I think one thing that's very confusing for beginners when they're getting into Python, and this might be going super far back, Michael, you're like, I don't even remember my first time 
coding Python. That was no, I remember. years ago. Okay, perfect. <laughs> well, at least for me, when I was first starting, it was very confusing because Python itself doesn't really have a place to actually code Python. That was like a yeah. concept from someone who didn't really have much of a programming background. It was like, okay, I'm going to download Python. And it's like, okay, great. You downloaded Python. And it's like, okay, I'm going to write Python. And it's like, where the heck am I going to write that? And so I think for yeah. a lot of people, they don't realize that the, the actual programming language and the place that you write it aren't the same place. Yeah. Yeah. Un unlike say R studio or, or something along those lines. Right. Or By the Matt way, they're, they're, yeah. Or MATLAB or Mathematica or many of the other systems. That's for sure. Yeah, you've got to go get some tools. And it used to be super broad. It used to, like I said, there's all these stories, these people I interviewed. I would ask them at the end of every show, okay, how do you write Python? What tools do you use? And it was always some kind of, oh, well, I've never heard of that. Tell people about what this thing is. Now it's PyCharm or VS Code. Like those are the two answers people give basically. Okay, uh, if there was a third know, like answer. 90% some. Really? What if they're, what if they're, what? What if I made you give me three, four, and five? What would people say after that? Those three, four, and five would be probably Vim and Emacs. Which wow. I yeah. That shocks me. And I think the other one would be Jupyter Notebooks, which okay. I think is a more reasonable. But yeah, I think people are doing themselves a big disservice with the, those. So if you don't know, Vim and Emacs are just running the terminal, and it's just you see one file at a time, and it's just just terminal text, right? And they are pretty advanced and I know those people absolutely love them. So don't email me. I, I understand, but just both lead you to writing code really in not an optimal way. And they don't have a lot of this, these smarts that are plugged into them, but not optimal. I mean, there's a lot of examples where like, here's a thousand line file of code. It's like, shouldn't you break that apart a little bit? Like, well, my editor really likes one file. So I just put it in one file. So maybe you should get a better editor that works them well on file at once my my perspective but you know I, i'm with you i i'm not good at the command line stuff it's I, I like to see my stuff which which is actually you haven't said what i use what i code python in so maybe I okay yeah tell it yeah let so us know. What, once again i started my programming life in engineering school and i learned matlab that's what was really comfortable to me is like i know how to program in matlab so when i switched over to python I downloaded, if you Google Python, you know, I downloaded the, the, from the installation from python.org. I like clicked on it and I was like, okay, how do I type stuff? And I think, I don't know if this is still the case. I don't, it was a while ago, so I don't hundred percent remember, but there's like, I think there's a default ID with that. That's idle. Yes. Idle. Yes. That's still there. It's okay. like it's improvement, improvement. Okay. It's not great though. So I, I was like, what the heck's going on? I don't really get this. And then I kind of put it away. And then eventually someone showed me spider. Um, oh yeah, sure. Spider comes from the Anaconda folks, right? Yeah. It, it comes with the Anaconda distribution of Python and it's basically like, yeah, it's very similar to our studios IDE or MATLAB's IDE. And so it feels very, it feels very homey for me and I, I belong. Yeah. There. That's awesome. Um, yeah, no, that's a good one. Yeah. It's, Another thing if people are coming from the R side and are interested is they should look at Shiny for Python. Yeah, you, you mentioned that earlier. Yeah, I haven't that, seen they, that. That's really neat. Very interesting. Yeah, if you're coming from R, definitely check that out. But anyways, I just think it's so interesting that there's so many different IDEs. I definitely think VS Code, PyCharm are probably, and Jupyter Notebooks is probably the most popular for, for the data side of things now. Yeah. Jupyter Notebooks at least, at least makes it a little bit easier where you can have human text to it. But anyways, I think that's interesting. So when, when people come to me now and they're getting started, they ask me, or like, how do I get started in Python? I think the installation is often difficult. So I often, when people are first getting started, I will tell them, you know, 
it's probably just easier if you skip the, the installation. There's some pretty cool, like you said, online hosted stuff. Uh, one of my favorites is Deep Notes, specifically for data science notebooks. It's just like a fancy Jupyter notebook, basically, with some kicks and kicks and giggles or, or some bells and whistles. That's really easy to do. So that's where I tell people to start. But then for me, once you want to get on your own machine, I tell people to go through Anaconda distribution and then use Jupyter Notebook or Spider from, from there. So that, that was my answer to the question. But, but I like yours. You're like, yeah, VS Code, PyCharm. That's what I do. PyCharm, do you have, do you have to download Python independently? Yes. Okay. I believe, yeah, I'm pretty, it might, if it wasn't there, it might pop up a box and say it would do it for you, yeah. but it doesn't ship with it. You know what I mean? Okay, cool. I, I think that's a confusing concept yeah. for people. It's super confusing. Yeah, yeah. Another one that's interesting people might check out is CoCalc at CoCalc.com. Oh, that's created by William Stein, who created SageMath. So it's like an open source, cloud-based, really math-focused alternative to MATLAB, but it's also in Python. It's, it's pretty interesting. Okay. I like that. Now in terms of, you know, we talked about where, where you could code and how to download a little bit. What would also be maybe some advice for people who are just starting off with Python? What would you tell them? Don't, don't try to do too much. Don't worry about looking at what all these companies and uh, high end tech places are doing with Python and feel like, Oh, I'm, if I don't do it that way, I'm doing it wrong. No, like that might be where you get to, but don't, don't worry about starting there, right? There's so many concepts in programming that you don't need until you get to a certain level, until you get to 100,000 users using your thing or until you get to a certain amount of data or it has to have 0.00000% downtime, right? And those things, I, there was a great article that went something like, you're not, you're not Google you're not Microsoft, you're not LinkedIn, you're not Netflix, so don't behave like them, right? Because so, it's easy for people to read about these really cool things that people are doing at these companies, go, that's awesome, and that must be the right way because I really respect these companies and they got all the smart people. True, but their context is real different than your context, right? <laughs> so you should just keep in mind, like, what is the goal? How much do I need to learn to do this, right? I would really be, I know you're a fan of projects as well, I'd be really project-focused, like, Okay, Python's huge. If you look at the ecosystem, the other half million things you can install with it, it's, it's unknowable. But what do I need to get that CSV file loaded up and then emailed? Like, that's all <laughs> I care about. Yeah. I don't need to know that. I just, how do I? Okay, so let's go find some libraries that do CSV. There's some built in that are nice. But, you know, and then how do I do whatever it is? That, like, really just worry about looking 10 feet down the road. You know, software is plastic. It's malleable, right? If, if eventually it becomes really important and it has changes, well, refactor it, change it. Use tools like PyCharm and VS Code that will do that kind of stuff for you. Don't, don't try to overdo it and, and try to solve a, a much bigger problem. I know that's a, a challenge that people can have, especially in the beginning. Like, well, what if I want to use it differently? Well, when that comes up, let's, <laughs> let's worry about it then. Because you got five little things to learn, and it's super simple if you just stay focused. So I, I, that's what that's my my advice. Learn it in a bunch of little small iterations. Don't try to you know, take huge bites. I love it. Start small. Start simple. Start messy. Because we start all messy. started absolutely. That, we we all started that way. And like the cool thing about Python is you don't have to be a software engineer to use it. You don't have to be a developer. You can be you can be a rock star. You can be a chemical engineer. You can be, what was the other guy? A theologian? What was his, what was his title? 
a philosopher. Yeah. A philosopher. You could be a philosopher and like, we welcome your, your bad coding practices. We welcome your, your messy code. We just want stuff to work and we want you to improve. I think, I think that's kind of like the motto of Python community. Absolutely. When you get to the point where like you've built something that's really useful, you're going to ship it to PyPI and make it open source and share it with the world. Then it requires a different level of attention and a different level of care. But you know, the first week, that's not, that's not what you need. You just need to get it going and just, just play and experiment. Yeah. I love that. Even, even, you know, first week, first month, first year, I, I still haven't like, I mean, I guess when I worked for Exxon, I had to write fairly well, to be honest, Exxon's not even that good at programming. So it wasn't even like that high level of program, Python. Programming. That is the biggest prize, right? That even these big, a lot of these big companies don't have, well, that's a, that's a billion dollar a year revenue company. It must be real good. Like, uh, wouldn't be so sure about that. Yeah. Even one of the tools that I built for Exxon, they gave it this evaluation. I did not give it this evaluation. They said that this tool was worth like $250 million and it was, it had bad comments. It had bad functions. I don't think it had, maybe it had classes. Maybe when I first wrote it, it definitely didn't have classes. Maybe I put it classes later on when we were actually shipping it. But my point is I'm still pretty bad at Python. Like I'm definitely not the best coder on planet earth. So it's okay. You guys, it's okay to struggle. If you guys want to learn more about Python, you guys need to definitely listen to Michael's both, both of his podcasts and uh, check out his website. Michael, you want to tell them where they can find you? Absolutely. So my home base on the internet, I guess these days is mkennedy.codes. So it has links to other stuff there and essays I write, but talkpython.fm, pythonbytes.fm for the podcast. And if you go to either of those places, it says courses and you can click there and we have 250 hours of Python courses written by me and a bunch of other people. So check those all out. And yeah, also I'm a fan of Mastodon these days. I'm at mkennedy on fossadon.org. So over there. Okay. We'll have all of those links in the show notes and the description down below. Michael, thank you for sharing your knowledge about Python and coming on the Data Career Podcast. Yeah. It's been great to be here. Thanks for having me. I hope you guys are all a little bit more educated on what Python is, what it can and can't do, and maybe why you should or shouldn't learn it. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Michael. You guys can check all his links in the description down below. I want to invite you guys to my special webinar. If you haven't already seen it, what the heck are you doing? Definitely check it out. It's in the show notes down below. It's basically like 35 minutes of me showing you what skills you need to focus on line your first data job, how you can network, and why you need to create a portfolio and kind of how to get started with projects in a portfolio. Check that out if you haven't already. I'd love to see you guys there. There's a live chat that I try to try to respond to everyone as quickly as possible in that webinar as well. So go check it out. It'll also be uh, an awesome opportunity to join DAA. I'll talk about that in the webinar, so don't worry about it. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And uh, if you did, go listen to some other ones. There's some other good episodes that you haven't listened to yet. And if you listen to them all, we got a new one coming next week. And I think you guys are going to like it. Have a great week, everyone. Talk soon.